This is Making It Happen by Sims, a podcast that brings people, business and technology together. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Making It Happen by Sims. I'm your host today, my name is Mel. Um, And I'm delighted to be joined by two special guests um, to discuss all things encrypted and data security. Welcome. Uh, With me, I have Raphael Blue, um, who featured on an earlier podcast. Hi. (laughs) Um, And Richard uh, Canadian um, of Kingston INK. How are you both today? Doing very well. I'm glad to be here. Good. Very well. Glad to be here too. Fabulous. And Rich is joining us from over over the pond uh, in the US. So thank you for getting up a bit earlier for us. <laughs> um, so um, it, it's great to um, obviously uh, have a little intro on you both. Um, so if you would be happy to give us a little bit of background um, and your involvement in data security. So Rich, starting with you, can you tell us a bit more? Sure. I'm a rich Canadian. I am the business manager for our encrypted unit at Kingston. So I work with all the Kingston Iron Key products. And I've been with Kingston for many years. So I've been exposed to all of Kingston's products. And I'm really happy to join this podcast with Sims, one of our great distributors in uh, in EMEA. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. <laughs> and uh, Rafi, um, we had a bit of an insight um, on our Edge podcast with you. Um, but how about your involvement in this particular area? Sure. So I, I, I guess the, the easiest way to describe it is because suddenly data got regulated. So the reason why people needed data was to, to, to support a legal uh, process or provide defensibility. And of course, once you start providing data as evidence, um, you have to be sure about it. So data security starts, it started for me at the very least when talking about things like data integrity uh, within the banking uh, arena. Brilliant. That's great. Um, so let's get into it. Um, I kind of wanted to kick things off from an organisational level. Um, so as a business in 2023 um, and a CTO, DPO or anyone that's uh, looking after data security, roughly what would, um, what's your opinion on what they should be looking for? It's a great question. I think it's a good starting question as well, because it really does uh it's relevant to any kind of organization, whether profit is your motive or not. But what organizations need to do is to understand that digital and data is the norm now, and that data is a key business and it's a key organizational asset. So it's time to stop thinking, oh, data and tech, oh, that's, you know, that's the boring stuff. We'll leave that to IT. This touches everything from obviously IT and making sure that people get the digital services from Word or or, or email or whatever it is, they just get it, um, which is not a simple task, uh, to revenue streams. Uh, If you look at organizations that do sell uh, and do look for profit, they run off something like Salesforce. Uh, Their enterprise data is intrinsically linked to their ability to carry on doing business. So every organization has to make that realization. Every organization needs to have a conversation. If they haven't already, 
that starts with what are we? What are we as a digital organization? And then leads to what do we want to be as a digital organization? So everyone should build a digital strategy. I'm, of course, glossing over all of the really boring stuff that comes between, such as performing mapping, uh, assessing risk, um, you know, doing records of processing activity, things that you're required to do under the law. So there's, there's, there are sort of grindy tasks to be accomplished. But overall, it should be part of an organization's culture today. That's the way it should be looked at. Excellent. So like really fundamental um, to, to any business, isn't it? Um, that's excellent. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, some of the common attacks, uh, things like bad USB, malware, ransomware. Um, can you give us a little bit of um, insight into these, um, Richard? Sure. Bad USB is an up and coming attack. Um, in the US, in January 2022, the FBI sent an email to all businesses warning them to watch out for a bad USB attack. So bad USB is a nightmare scenario for an IT security officer. So think about it this way. In phishing emails, you've got emails that come through that try to get you to link to a site or that try to get you to provide your own personal information. So in that case, you can always filter it in advance. But Imagine a scenario where a hacker walks into your company, goes and sits at one of your employees' unlocked workstations and starts keyboarding, starts keying in commands. I mean, they're inside the firewall, they're sitting at an already authenticated computer. That is what bad USB means. So bad USB basically means that an attacker takes a USB drive, a common USB drive, replaces the firmware with another firmware, and then gets it to an employee somehow. How do they do it? Well, imagine you're walking into your office and on the ground in front of the door, you found a USB drive that's marked as a one terabyte USB drive. You go, wow, it's a one terabyte. You're gonna take it in with you and you're gonna say two, you're gonna think two things. One is maybe I can find who it belongs to, or you're going to think maybe I can use it if nobody is the owner because it's, a, it's marked as one terabyte. It's a nice USB drive. So you take the USB drive, you plug it into your computer. Right at that moment, you don't see anything and you're going, well, it probably doesn't work. And you just unplug it and move it away. But in the time you plugged it in, that USB drive registered itself as a keyboard and started keying in, started launching scripts and started attacking your cybersecurity. So it's basically having an attacker sitting at an employee's desk attacking the cybersecurity from the inside. So that's why bad USB is very dangerous. One of the ways with Kingston Iron Key that we avoid that is we use firmware on our drives that is digitally signed. That means that when the drive controller comes up, it checks that the firmware is the one that we signed at the factory. And if it's not, the drive just breaks. So that's why I recommend that, that companies basically use endpoint screening of the drives that they allow on their drive on their computers and they basically disallow drives that are not allowed and by doing that they can ensure that the drives that are allowed have digitally signed uh, firmware that is very difficult to replace or nearly impossible to replace Excellent. Thank you. Um, and Rafi, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I, I've been through this with several uh, 
organizations that have been wanting to come up to um, standard. There is no official certification. I mean, there's various ISO standards, but for most people, the accessible point will be something like Cyber Essentials or Cyber Essentials Plus. And if it's not those standards, then it will be an onboarding process with typically a bigger company that's going to give you money because it's a it's a contract. So you have to onboard with this big company. So you have to prove out via um, exceedingly lengthy questionnaires. They're, they're never short. Um, you have to prove out everything that you're doing. And one of the areas of focus is what are you doing with your USB ports? Um, already the question is, is outdated because um, what, what happened is that a lot of companies tried to uh, just steer away from USB. We're going to shut down all the ports. Uh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Um, and fine as a response, but just as a part of a sort of zero trust model, they'll have soon had people knocking on their door saying, well, actually, there's a particular use case for, uh, <coughs> for USB. And again, it goes to culture. If you've got an ad hoc approach to IT equipment, moves, additions, changes, and deletions of, of, of equipment, if it's all happening without process and without record keeping, and it's much more likely culturally for someone to pick up that one terabyte key um, and plug it in. Um, where there is a culture that has process and has record keeping, most of all has rationale so that the people that are operating endpoint equipment don't just think, oh, I'm just using a computer here. They, they're using um, a very sensitive piece of equipment in, in, in some cases. Um, certainly when all the data has been exposed, it's a sensitive piece of equipment. Um, so what, what was what was said about having encrypted USB, having having devices that are fit for purpose, such as IMKey. Um, I, I, I always would be pleased to hear, carry my IMKey around and wave it at people that work in HR because they're the ones that are often have got very sensitive personal data and they don't know how to deal with it. And I say, well, how about an encrypted USB key? But it's it's pointless unless there's a documented process behind giving that out whoever's got the the the, the encrypted usbs it, it's not just an ad hoc process you send them out they've got numbers you send them out for a purpose if the purpose is over you take them back um, and you manage the assets and you take it seriously so that's that's my uh, half penny's worth amazing thank you very much now I'd like to discuss cloud and encrypted storage, specifically how they coexist. Clearly, it could be a use case dependent and based on the sensitivity um, of data an organization is storing in the cloud. Um, but can you give us a few reasons why organizations might consider encrypted storage in the cloud? As to both of you, so who wants to? <laughs> I, I don't mind, Rich, you wanna go? Well, basically, our recommendation, especially for small and medium businesses, is to be careful about using the cloud. There, is, there have been a lot of breaches in the cloud, and part of the reason is that a lot of data that is, in, that is actually stored in the cloud is not encrypted. Around the beginning of the year, both Google and Apple basically announced that they were going to do 
endpoint to endpoint encryption. And what they did is they basically revealed that a lot of the these cloud storage before that, a lot for a lot of data that users have on their systems, was not encrypted. So that data is subject to breaches. And we know about breaches because every week or every other week, we hear about a major company having a data breach and data being basically available for sale on the internet. So storing on the cloud always has its share of risk. And the risk is basically that that data could be breached and uh, you could have a, a breach that you have to deal with. You've got to tell your customers that their data has been compromised and so on. So there are multiple solutions to that. One of them is, as you mentioned, that data could be encrypted. So companies have to make sure that whatever cloud they use, their data is encrypted. Mm -hmm. The other solution, especially for smaller businesses, is the best storage that you can have is storage that you control. And storage that you control is a backup that you can make on an external SSD, for example, and you can store at your company. Because when it comes down to it, all that using the cloud means is that you're storing your data on someone else's computer. And you've got to trust them to put in all the right security to protect your data. So there's a lot of trust involved there. So to me, the best trust is when I have a drive in my hand and I've got my backup on it and I secure it, that to me is more uh, trustworthy than storing it somewhere and I have to trust somebody else to secure their computer. Yeah, I, I'll append on to that, saying that the cloud is fantastic and it's been massively empowering um, for businesses. It's a tremendous supporter of mobility. When we put the cloud at every level of the tech stack that we operate in, we can think because of the convenience that this is this is great. This is secure. This is a big company, uh, Google or, or Amazon or whoever else that we're trusting um, but what it also is is a single point of failure so if you've got a problem um, at a network level and you can't access the data then your business will make no money for that period of time um, you won't be able to coordinate client visits everything you know from the calendar to the files that you know people need to stop thinking about it as a, a, as a panacea and as a risk-free option um certainly and again pointing at hr that's the kind of data that i wouldn't exclusively trust to the cloud uh, there's also areas where the performance of of cloud storage uh, and of cloud compute you know coming off the edge podcast that we did mm -hmm. um, there are circumstances where the performance of cloud is is not what it needs to be. Uh, certainly, you know, maybe in some financial settings, I can think that that, that cloud might not be the ideal thing. Um, and more besides, um, but the attack surface that the cloud represents is a highly complex one. That really, you know, if you used to have a head of IT, this is what they should be doing now. If they're not managing a server room. Um, is looking at the contracts, looking at the SLAs with every single um, known quantity within their new tech stack, and also making sure that there aren't any unknown quantities in their tech stack. And I'm talking about shadow IT here, where some bright spark says, well, I don't like their file transfer method. I'm just going to use WeSendIt because I've got an account at home. Um, you know, probably nothing will go wrong.
Um, but in the in the events that it does, it's pretty indefensible from an IT point of view. So that attack surface gets more sophisticated. And it's also incredibly patient. These attacks are largely automated. It's not someone sitting in a, um, you know, in a, in a, well, there is someone sitting in a basement somewhere, but it's not the case that it's an individual sitting and targeting you. Everything is automated because these things work at scale and they're very, very, they're very, very good criminal businesses as the statistics for cybercrime would bear out. They wouldn't be doing it it wasn't easy, relatively easy money. So fraud comes through impersonation. And when you've got someone sitting at a desk, as you described in that scenario, doesn't matter how smart you were, you've got someone sitting in your building using a piece of terminal equipment and that, that, that's terminal for another reason. So impersonation, um, the question of authentication and digital ID in the first place, um, becomes something that can't be taken casually. Um, certainly, if I go into my password manager uh, to do a clear out, as I did yesterday, um, I am boasting. Um, I, I looked at the number of companies that I was no longer using for their services um, and how undoubtedly there was still the possibility that an attack on them might be an attack on me. That's so, a really valid point. I'm now going to go and review my passwords. <laughs> I hope you use a password manager. Of, of course, of it's course. It's impossible to have to, 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 you know, unless you're someone that memorizes decks of cards. Uh, <laughs> fun. And there are those people. But for the rest of us, a password manager, thank you very much. Um, and, and just I was thinking about, again, with USB, when I started out with a computer, it was a computer that if I picked it up, uh, and took it around to someone else's house, it was still the same thing. Um, and if I had a piece of software for it that I loaded on cassette, I could, everything was portable and there was no ownership. If someone took the cassette off me, they own it. There's nothing that I can do um, you know, to prove otherwise. We don't live in that world anymore where if I've got something, the computer that I'm using, everything that's on this computer exists somewhere else. So this device becomes less relevant from a security point of view. I can, I can secure this device. Um, but if a cloud service that I'm using gets hacked, then the device is not, is not relevant. Wherever my login is, wherever it's accessed, it's me. Yeah. Um, so physical ownership of a piece of encrypted USB, encrypted SSD, um, it is, as we were, you know, in the financial markets, we call this a hedge. You've got a whole bunch of risks stacking up on one side. There's, there's something that you can do that offsets that risk. And I believe that encrypted USB is a very, very good hedge. Excellent. If I could amplify something, uh, <clears throat> Raphael said, one of the... Uh, issues with using the cloud is you've got to use the internet. So the data on the cloud is not data you control. It's the data that your cloud provider controls. And to access it, you've got to get on the internet. So what if there is issues with the internet? First of all, there is no internet. How do you get to your data, right? And you can have performance issues too if the internet is bad. The second thing is, what if your employees go to a coffee shop 
and use the internet at the coffee shop to access their confidential data? How vulnerable are they at that moment where they're accessing the data and can their systems be hacked? For example, when I go to hotels and I travel, I do not use the hotel internet. I hotspot on my phone and I think it's a better form of security for me than using the hotel Wi-Fi. There have been cases where attackers park their car close enough to the hotel to hop onto the free Wi-Fi and see if they can attack systems. So while you're using the hotel Wi-Fi, somebody could be probing your computer to see if they can get in. If they can get in, they have access to all your data. So there's a lot of issues with using the internet. And as Rafael said, if you have a USB drive or an external SSD that's encrypted that you control, you have it. You have the data right there that you need to access. You don't need to get on an internet at the coffee shop to basically do your work. The technical equipment that people would use to hop onto the Wi-Fi, it doesn't actually require you to log into the Wi-Fi. It right. just reads the streams. Um, yeah. Because the streams are just out there to be read. And if those streams aren't encrypted, you're absolutely right, then your data is just, it's just out there, despite everything else that you and exactly. your firm might have done to try and protect it. Scary stuff. <laughs> um, so we've uh, with some really interesting stuff there, but um, we've mentioned um, both physical and software encryption. So can you explain a, a sort of what the differences are? Um, I mean, ultimately, it's going to be uh, there's a choice between hardware and software encryption, um, mm -hmm. and it is a likely to be use use case dependent. Um, but yeah, if you can highlight some of those key differences, that would be great. Well, software, oh, sorry, Rich. Oh, sorry, no, go, go, Rich, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so software encryption is basically when your computer does the encryption. Hardware encryption is when our USB drives, like the Kingston Iron Key drives, do the encryption internally. So the difference is when you do encryption on the computer, the password is in the computer's memory. The encryption is being done on the fly in your computer. So there are more attack, there's more of an attack surface there where somebody could get your password from the computer's memory. You can get your password from a hibernation file, for example, and they could even access the encrypted file and attack it. Hardware encryption is where encryption gets done on the drive. The password is sent to the drive when you log in and it's never you put in, in the computer's memory. So it's never accessible and attackable. And the data is protected by having what's called brute force attack protection. Brute force attack protection is the key difference between the two. If you take a Kingston Iron Key drive and you enter the password wrong 10 times in a row, the drive will either lock the password or it will do a crypto wipe where it will delete all the data forever. So it has that security built in. Software encryption does not have brute force attack protection. That means that you can guess the password and you can keep guessing it through automated means. So I have actually looked up attack uh, software on the internet, and there's a lot of software on the internet that you get for free or that is paid software that will guess passwords. And these softwares can guess a billion passwords a second or more. And they're scalable, which means that they can actually connect a bunch of computers together and keep guessing passwords until they find it. A lot of the common software encryption um, algorithms are covered by these softwares. And to me, in my opinion, software encryption is already compromised. If you don't use a very long or very complex password, 
these softwares will eventually guess your password and be able to access your data. So my, my own personal recommendation is to use hardware encryption where that encryption is done on the drive itself and where the attacker cannot get access to the file to attack it by guessing the password. Brute force attack protection is a key protection that IT should look for for anything that's encrypting data. Excellent. Yeah, really, really comprehensive. Thank you. Um, and I suppose touching on um, hardware encryption, um, more specifically sort of external USBs um, and SSDs, as um, we've mentioned, um, these can be used in a variety of verticals. Um, would you like to just give us some examples of um, which they could be used? Yes, I mean, um, when we look at verticals, we found out that Kingston Iron Key drives are pretty much used in almost all verticals. The key ones, of course, are healthcare, um, government, military, energy, uh, finance, like Rafael was saying, there's a lot of information out there that's very specific to people and people care about their data. So nowadays, because of regulations such as GDPR and other uh, regulations worldwide, governments are forcing companies to look at the data they have. In California, we even have a law now that basically says, HR that Rafael was mentioning has to protect their employees' data and ensure that it's it's not breached or released. So there's a lot of regulation that affects every vertical out there, and data has to be protected everywhere, really. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, uh, the, 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 the reason beyond privacy as well is that we're now just dividing the data worlds up we've got the we've got the software the hardware but also we've got the idea of streaming data and data at rest and having different strategies for each of these categories is 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 worth um worth thinking about um the so so, so beyond um the, the 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 privacy risk of having private information disclosed a lot of Digital services now and evolving digital services such as machine learning algorithms, uh, AI, which is a huge, huge thing, obviously. Uh, and it's not just one thing, AI, there's lots of different types. Um, but one thing might be taken as being in common. These tools, or whatever you want to call them, digital services, are capable of making decisions. And they're capable of making decisions based on a set of data or sets of data. So we have to be, again, very, very sure about the integrity of the data that decisions are being made upon. So if there is a financial or legal effect, so not just privacy, but let's just say um, data gets engineered a particular way to to make it more difficult for a certain class of person to get a mortgage or a loan. Um, that's a, a horrifying thought, but with the scale that AI and artificial algorithmic decision-making is, is gathering pace, it's something that we really have to think about. Um, because we have to explain the decisions that get, that get made. Everything that happens inside a, um, an algorithmic box should be explainable. The government, the UK government, set out some guidelines about three years ago to 
very little fanfare about explainer, the explainability of AI. And as we move into, we've moved into uh, a, a world where AI is part of our daily lives, whether we, whether we know it, whether we like it, any of those things. We have to be, be, be cognizant of how the decisions were arrived at because they affect us um, on a daily basis. And, and, and a mortgage or a loan is, is just one example. It could be in, you know, in healthcare. It could be the difference between life or death. Excellent. Um, well, thank you both. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot there. Um, I've certainly come away a lot uh, more uh, uh, advised on my data security. Some of the some of some of the <laughs> scary though. So I hope it wasn't. You know, well, no, it has made me think I need to review most of my, like you say, password manager and uh, you know accessing and where you're accessing. So um, yeah, really, really excellent stuff. Thank you. Um, so I suppose um, sort of just to sort of round things off, um, can I invite you both um, sort of some closing advice um, for organisations listening and um, what they should be doing with data security in, in 2023? Uh, Rich, I'll start with you. Okay, sure. Basically, one of the key uh, uh, customizations that we offer our customers is for them to screen the USB drives that are used by their employees. And what we do is we we customize what's called the uh, product ID on the drive. So basically, a customer would come to Kingston and they would order a, an encrypted Kingston Iron Key drive, and we would custom program a, a product ID into the drive, into the hardware. So when the USB drive is plugged in, it would basically allow the, the cybersecurity software to identify the custom PID. And if that custom PID corresponds to what is on the approval list, it would let the USB drive connect. If it didn't, then the drive would not be allowed to connect. We call this the endpoint security. And the, the screening is basically what will protect them from unauthorized USBs being plugged in. So this is one of our popular customizations to select drives that we do that make it easier for businesses to protect against USB drives. Um, basically common USB drives being plugged into their network as I mentioned earlier. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention that I didn't bring up earlier is we're seeing a lot of ransomware in the news and ransomware is also something that you need to protect against. And especially for small and medium businesses that are bearing the brunt of the attacks of ransomware we would recommend doing local backups. That's where you take your data on your computer and you back it up on an external SSD and make sure that you can track that backup. So you have it available to you, you don't need the internet. And that's the best kind of security, the security for the data you protect yourself. Excellent, thank you. And Rafi? Yeah, I thought I'd sort of divide this up into a couple of, a couple of things. Obviously, there's organizations and organizations that are operating at scale. Um, I think the advice is if you don't really have a clear picture of what best practice looks like, try and find out what that what that might mean. Try and understand what risks you might be taking. Uh, if you don't, if I if I say, have you done your ROPA? your record of processing activities that's required, I think it's on, on, under Article 30 of the GDPR. 
If that's a really strange question to you, then you should certainly have sort of caught up with that, given the GDPR was 2018. In other words, you should have done a whole bunch of boring stuff um, and now been at the sunlit uplands of that boring stuff where you're actually living better lives. Okay, so if you haven't done it, um, it's time really to grasp the nettle and go ahead and do it. If you have done it, good. Um, what more can you do to protect your clients' data, to protect your revenues, to lower your risks, to understand the totality of your risks and to set a digital strategy for the future and understand what, what your choices actually mean um, and to be deliberate in those choices, know why you're doing what it is that you're doing. The second level is of for, for individuals. Um, and I always talk about this because every organization is made out of individuals. And if this must become meaningful to us in order for it to be translated through organizations. I always sort of say, well, when you phoned up another organization to get something, did you, did you feel like you could trust them? Well, do you feel people would trust your company if they went through your processes? And I'll confess to of having some arguments with some banks um, who would call me about um, my financial matters, right? Nothing dramatic, but they'd be calling me. Um, and they would take me through security, which involved me giving them my passwords, my personal information, my email address, my date of birth. And even though I'm pretty sure it's the bank, I am aware of very, very, very sophisticated scams that have defeated some pretty smart, non-naive people. It's entirely convincing when these people claim to be, and I've shook off a couple of them that was the bank. I'm pretty sure it was the bank. A couple of them I shook off an attempt because I asked them some questions and ah, they didn't come back to me once I, was, once I started asking particular questions. Uh, but most of all, I've, I've sort of found that big organizations, including banks, can act exactly like cyber criminals would when dealing with members of the public. You're phoning me on the number that I gave you. So really, if you can't authenticate me, you've got a problem. Send me a letter. That's my normal final salvo. If it's really important, send me a letter. Um, so as individuals, look after yourselves. Don't be naive about the things that pop into your inboxes, your text messages, your WhatsApp, um, you know, unsolicited WhatsApps. Um, and tell your kids because these are digital citizens of the future. Um, and I've had the privilege of going from Sinclair Spectrum all the way to here and living the change. People that are just coming into the world of work now, they've, they've always thought that you touch the screen to get things done. <laughs> whereas, whereas I don't operate that way. Uh, uh, so make 23 perhaps the year that you think 
you know what, data and tech, it's actually not boring. These are the tools that we use to advance our lives and, 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 and to help other people and to, and to live these days. That's not going away. Um, so let's try and do it properly. Excellent. And I really like actually your point you made about sort of sharing that knowledge. I think that's really fundamental. I think um, if you've learned something and follow a good practice, then tell your, your friends or your parents or grandparents, children. No, I, mean, um, I don't get invited to dinner parties anymore. I'd like to add a note to something that uh, Rafael talked about right at the beginning. He talked about passwords. Yeah. And you talk about using a password manager because passwords are getting unwieldy. So on our new drives that we launched in 2022 and uh, 2023, we introduced a type of password called the passphrase. Passphrases are free text from 10 to 64 characters. They're actually, if you make them 15 characters or longer, they're actually much more secure than uh, the typical complex password that is a length of eight typically. So a passphrase can be anything. It could be a sentence. It could be part of a song you like. It could be the title of the book you like. It's very hard for somebody to guess unless they really, really get to know you very well. But it's easy for you to remember. It could be a collection of three words, four words that you put together. And even a computer would have a hard time guessing these passwords. So we, we think that passphrases will make it easier for you to remember passwords and to use your devices uh, properly. Like Rafael mentioned, we're talking a lot about data security hygiene. It all comes down to the individual. And the individual has to follow a system of rules. And if you make it easier for them to do it, if you make it easier for them to remember a password, even with a hint that says my favorite song, and they go, oh, I know what that is, and they type it in, then it makes security easier to basically implement across an organization. So companies have to look at how easy it is for individuals basically to do security on a day-to-day -day basis without even thinking about it. Excellent. And uh, yeah, I think passphrases, again, that's something we use um, internally and it certainly helped the level of passwords you need to remember and something that's more catchy. So um, yeah, really sound advice. Thank you. Um, so I know that um, Kingston Iron Key have some um, sort of great resources um, available. So uh, if people wanted to find out more, um, they can visit ironkey.com, um, I believe. Um, and you've got some um, great eBooks on there, which I think Rafi um, contributes to some. Uh, you've got uh, why are you is these still relevant? Um, and I think uh, another one's called uh, does hardware encryption prevent risk? So if you want to find out a bit bit more, um, then we will include the link below um, and uh, yeah please do check them out um, so I will leave it here today and um, thank you for both for coming on today and, and your contributions uh, to data security and um, really appreciate it um, and if anybody's got any questions relating to any of the points we've made today um, then please do get in touch thank you very much thank you thank you everyone